W-H-Y-Y and Billy Penn. This is your Friday edition of Hittin' Season, a Philadelphia Phillies podcast. My name is Justin Blue. I write for Baseball Prospectus and Billy Penn. With me is Liz Rocher of Yahoo Sports. Hello, Liz. Hello, Justin. Here we are in the dead of early winter, the cold rain soaking the eastern seaboard as we prepare for a cold, dark winter. But the winter meetings also are on the horizon, which means a more lively hot stove. Right now, it's been largely a simmer. We're going to talk about a few things, but other than Aaron Nola re-signing with the Phillies, a couple of bench players being secured for the 2024 season, uh, as well as some minor league dealings, there really hasn't been a whole lot of steamy off-season content to discuss. I think that may change at the winter meetings. What do you think? I definitely think it will. Uh, I wrote a primer uh, on the winter meetings that's up on sports.yahoo.com slash MLB, where I say it's it's very likely that there will be something that happens, whether it's a trade or um, a big signing. But it feels like there's it, it feels like there's no chance that this is one of those winter meetings where a bunch of dudes and like five women get together for four days and then leave when nothing happens. Does it feel like this is that? Yes. Uh, I too am pretty sure something will happen, but I did not write a primer on baseball prospectus. No, I wrote a fictionalized correspondence between Andre Dawson and the national baseball hall of fame museum about him wanting to change his hat from an Expos hat to a Cubs hat on his hall of fame plaque. Uh, <laughs> Less productive, <laughs> some might say, but still entertaining. I will I will defend it. Uh, but hey, here's a tweet. According to Ken Rosenthal, the Marlins have hired Gabe Kapler as an assistant general manager. Team was apparently intrigued by his success in player development during his time as Dodgers farm director. Now, I bring this up for only one reason. Well, really two. Uh, it's Gabe Kapler. Uh, but the second reason is... <laughs> Because of what we know about Gabe Kapler, specifically Gabe Kapler, specifically from his time as director of player development with the Dodgers. And if you're using that as a reason to bring him on board, I'm confused because all we really know, we fans anyway, not MLB insiders or those who uh, are his colleagues as MLB executives and the like, uh, all we really know, the highlights of that time aren't good they, they are in fact pretty bad they actually make him look pretty bad so it just seemed kind of strange to me that that was the reason why he was hired by the miami marlins but that brings gabe kapler back to the nl east elizabeth your thoughts <laughs> um they definitely had to scroll down on his resume to find that player development stuff yeah. uh because it's been a few jobs since he's had that uh, it seems at least the Kaplers realized that his maybe at least for the time being and hopefully forever, uh, his destiny is not in an MLB dugout that he he might be meant for the front office life. And I think that's probably correct because I, I don't think players have a lot of patience for his. Uh, I stop myself from swearing uh, brand of crap. Yeah, I have to say, obviously we are biased because Kapler's time as manager here was a 
for many of us, frustrating time to watch the Phillies for a variety of reasons, but he did nothing to really assuage that frustration. Um, and I feel like he is going to be a presence for years to come. Obviously, he got hired pretty quick as manager of the Giants after his time in Philadelphia. He has now gotten an, another job since leaving the Giants pretty quickly. Uh, he had a job before he came to the Phillies, obviously the one that the Marlins used to re- use as a reason to hire him. I guess what I'm saying is I have never seen or heard anything from Gabe Kapler that would make me rush to hire him for my fictional MLB franchise that I am hiring people to oversee. What is it? (laughs) And again, I don't want to spend a lot of time on this, but what is it about Gabe Kapler that makes him so interesting two major league front offices across baseball. I mean, I'm going to say in this position, judging by what we've heard allegedly, uh, allegedly, allegedly about his time at the Dodgers, he's certainly good at allegedly covering up alleged sexual assaults. Have I said allegedly enough? I feel like we're covered. Yeah. Okay, good. Because, uh, I mean, that's the joke my husband made to me. Uh, but... I mean, that's kind of, if you look at the Dodgers during that time and what happened, I guess it's player development, not like scouting. Like, I don't know. I think Gabe Kapler, I think, profiles as a guy that baseball people want in baseball. I think that's it. I think he he has got that sort of newfangled um, – attitude towards you know statistics he will go the extra mile he'll go the extra two or 10 or 150 miles whatever it is you require of him um he is not it's going to be interesting to see how he does in a job with a team that really doesn't want to spend like the giants are a little skin flinty that's just how they've always been uh but you know the dodgers and the phillies were not those teams when he was with them so uh, I'm curious to see what's going to happen here because the day one thing that's been made clear with the parting of the ways with Kim Ng is that they're not a team that wants to do a lot of spending. They want to do a lot of developing, and they think that he'll be good at that. I guess. You give him, I mean, you give him props for the 107 win team he he oversaw in in uh, San Francisco. Do we? Fair, fair enough. I mean, you got just in the broadest sense, let's just throw that into the pro column. Sure. Uh, he was the manager of a team that won a ton of games. Uh, didn't do much more than win a ton of games and kind of quickly crashed Once. back down to earth. But yes. it happened. Sure. Credit where credit's due, apparently. But I will say all you really heard was that he was a brilliant communicator and innovator. And those are things I just feel like you have never seen. <laughs> as a fan of any of the teams that he's been involved with. I don't know. That maybe he's just brilliant at the behind the scenes stuff. I, I, I don't know. Maybe he's just got a lot of really good connections. Who knows? Uh, but that happened. He now works for the Marlins. Okay. Moving along to more interesting news uh, or at least developments across major league baseball. According to Jeff Passan of ESPN, the San Diego Padres are expected to trade star outfielder Juan Soto in a deal that some believe will come together by the end of the winter meetings. This on itself is not particularly surprising or catching anybody off guard, but Passon goes on to say possibilities include 
the Philadelphia Phillies, who don't necessarily have the need, but certainly the talent and money. Now, the Yankees and Padres have been aggressively sniffing each other about Juan Soto for the for the length of the offseason thus far. But Soto and the Phillies, they also do keep getting linked. Maybe not in a official capacity, maybe just because another team makes the non-story go further, if you say. But, you know, it's more than just the Yankees. Maybe because they could legitimately afford him. Maybe because the interest there is real. Who knows? Who knows? We're not really at that point yet. There is, but I feel like there, correct me if I'm wrong, but there is nothing out there other than assumptions that Juan Soto is any kind of clubhouse issue. And statistically, he's anomalous. He, he has, he had the most walks before his 25th birthday in June. He tied Mickey Mantle for the second most games in which he reached, reached base four times uh, behind only Ted Williams, a player he does keep getting compared to for uh, valid reasons. It feels like the impression is that he had a down year in 2023, but that was 2022. In 2023, he finished sixth in MVP voting. He won a silver slugger and he was an all-star. I mean, I shouldn't have to talk anyone into Juan Soto as a ball player. He's, he's, he's... But he wasn't amazing. <laughs> he wasn't super duper suspend, uh, stupendous. Doesn't that mean that he's a failure? Yeah. <sighs> I really hate that. Like that's I think that's what it was that everyone was expecting after 2022 he would have like a bounce back year to his ultra amazing unbelievable MVP form and that just didn't happen and that's okay. Yeah. <laughs> that's really fine. Like there's I mean let's let the impression be that he is not good and the Phillies could get him and as far as the Phillies not having a need they have a need for dudes that can hit and get on base. That is always a need. They also have a bunch of extra outfielders. Juan Soto, you know, hit. as much as me, as much as we enjoy, you know, like Brandon Marsh or whatnot. When you, when you look at Juan Soto, some of those guys become expendable. Oh, I didn't realize we were going to have this conversation. Oh, I'm so sorry. I didn't know otherwise. I don't. I didn't know why we would be bringing it up if we weren't going to discuss. The possibility, like they're being linked. I at least want to have the conversation about what it would take to get him here, what we would, what I wouldn't mind, what you wouldn't mind giving up in exchange for Juan Soto. How much, like, do you, we sort of let go of the idea at some point that, at least some people did, that the, that Dombrowski had the ability to make the team's significantly better this offseason. They could re-sign Aaron Nola and keep everything at the la- you know at the level they were. They could maybe get a closer, you know, a couple of bench pieces. But, like, that is a way to significantly improve the Phillies in 2024. I'm, of course, not saying I wasn't prepared to have the Juan Soto to the Phillies conversation. I'm saying I wasn't aware we were going to have the Brandon Marsh is leaving the Phillies conversation. There's no other person I'd have that conversation with. Interesting. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Not that I don't love him, but like you sound like you, you, know. you sound like you hate him. Honestly. Yeah, it does sound like that, huh? Yeah, uh, I I feel like you're ready to <laughs> kick my favorite player to the curb, and uh, in exchange for what? A guy who keeps getting compared to Ted Williams? <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yeah. That is the uh, difficult part of this but that is also where the conversations kind of start as far as Phillies and, and and Juan Soto go is that yes they are capable of acquiring him and yeah if you think about well do they need him the easy response is exactly what you said what team couldn't use 
Juan Soto, a guy who keeps getting compared to Ted Williams. So, again, like I said, I shouldn't have to talk anyone into Juan Soto, uh, but he is more of a what's the cost and where does he fit kind of situation. But he is he is not good enough to like he is he is good. He is good enough to make him fit anywhere like that, again, kind of gets a little dicey because you're like, yeah, this is a player you obviously want on your team. He's played 453 games in right and 301 games in left in his career. He's had the most success hitting third, but that spot's more or less spoken for. He's also been plenty productive fourth, fifth and sixth, albeit in rapidly shrinking sample sizes the further down the order you go. Soto has needed the first month of the season to kind of get primed uh, throughout his career. But after that, I mean, he's largely been a consistent slugger throughout the rest of the year. Can you imagine having a consistent slugger on this team? I know. (laughs) Like, that's that's the thing. Like, I want, as much as we love our players, I think we know coming out of a season that was not a total failure. I can't call a season when they made the playoffs and went as far as they did a total failure. That feels wrong. But coming out of a season where the bats went quiet pretty quickly uh, as the further they went, you I, I want to think about this because I love on the on Twitter. I've seen people say, you know, we can't it, we don't want to act like the window is closing because the point of Dombrowski coming here is to build a team like the Dodgers where the window is always open. And it's not that it's closing. It's just about going through it and then coming back around outside the house and going through again. Well, and in the same way that as soon as we're born, we begin to die. As soon as a window is open, it begins to close. Exactly. So, like, the point is to make them – it's not about, like, having them be good, as good as possible right now immediately because there's no chance in the future. There is a lot of chance, but one of the ways you keep the window open is by acquiring – Juan Soto and signing him to a deal because I mean, maybe not immediately, but if he has a good time in Philly in 2024, there's no reason not to. I mean, why wouldn't you? I mean, that's, that's another issue is that he's on the last year of a deal. So you're basically trading for a player who you may only have for one season. And that changes perhaps what you're able to give up unless you, for some reason, get an indication that he is willing to sign an extension. And I don't think, you know, a lot of people kind of throw that in. They're like, oh, well, if you could get Juan Soto and you could get him to agree to an extension, then, yeah, what wouldn't you give up for him? And, of course, you know, that that makes it infinitely more appealing. But when it, does that happen? Like, can you give me an example of that? Like, oh, we traded for a guy on a deal. I know that I know that ha- I feel like that has happened, but that's not a guarantee, I guess, is my point. You, you can't it's you can't not. think that from the outset and be like, oh, yeah, if they could do that. Yes. Like I said, that makes him so much more appealing. But I will say, since we just kind of went through that the Phillies are a fit kind of by default, but maybe not, maybe not entirely, isn't adding just to add part of what got the Padres, Soto's current team, here in the first place, where they have this superpowered team full of stars that has not even made, well, they have made the postseason, but has not gotten nearly as dominant as they intended to be. They are a vibeless, penniless void from players uh, who only escape by getting traded. So <laughs> what do you, what would have to happen to turn the Phillies into that? Like the one thing the Phillies have that the Padres don't, and I think that's a big difference, is a really solid, consistent culture and a message 
of t- a message of teamwork. I've been really fascinated with um, like MLB and NFL teams and the way they operate. And I think it's definitely different than in other sports. Um, the focus on, you know, this is it's a team sport that focuses also on individual accomplishments and the balance finding the balance between that is really hard and i think that's something the phillies have done really well and i think some of it is the players some of it is the manager but i that's the one thing i the phillies have to sell is that their culture is amazing i think they can make anybody fit into the clubhouse that's the clubhouse itself interesting. i think everyone is yeah i think that's a, i mean but my, I would my, 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 res- my response to that is your culture is amazing with the core that you have established. Reese Hoskins is gone. He was a part of that core. He's a big part of that core leader in the clubhouse. He's gone. Rumors about Nick Castellanos dominated the headlines briefly early in the post early in the off season. Uh, those were refuted by the Phillies. The truthfulness of them. Who knows? Who knows how uh, open to trading Nick Castellanos the Phillies are. That's another big member of your core, big leader in the clubhouse, stepped up into Reese Hoskins' spot in the in the absence of their first baseman this season. Now you're talking about dumping Brandon Marsh for Juan Soto. How long does that culture that's so valuable withstand the loss of so many guys who are who have created it? You have to look at the dudes who are there and committed, and you also have to understand the players. This is weird. Players understand the business side and that they have to go and come. Like, hey, we could keep Brandon Marsh. And I really love Nick Castellanos. I love him so much and I would hate to see him go. But if trading one of the Phillies' least consistent hitters for one of MLB's best, like if adding him to a deal would make it happen, then that's what has to happen. And you have to trust in guys like Bryce Harper, Aaron Nola, Zach Wheeler, um Schwarber uh, yes god thank you Kyle Schwarber <laughs> um Jose Alvarado you have to trust in those guys who have been there for a while and who have helped create that culture that they will continue to do that like we understand that Reese Hoskins is a big part of the culture but he also wasn't this year he he was he was injured and was not around a lot and the vibe stayed good. And yes, like Cassiano stepped up and did things and that would be one of the thing that would be one of the reasons why it would be terrible to him to go. But I I ha- I want to see the big picture. I I don't want to be I don't want to be a fan that gets too attached to players at the to the detriment of the team. I don't want to be like that. Well, it's not like fan attachment ever really plays a role in whether a guy, a guy sticks around or not. Oh, know? I know, but I'm mostly talking about, you know, personally as fans, what we would consider. Like, because at least our attitude will, you know, our attitude controls how we, you know, how we respond to these big moves. I, I want to, as the universe, you know, I want to be open to the whole universe of things. And and that's mostly because I trust Dave Dombrowski. I know he he understands how important the players and the culture are to this team. And it's a really difficult, you know, it's it's surgery with a 
with a very fine laser. You have to be incredibly careful about where you're cutting and what you remove. What if there was some press conference where Dombrowski was asked, like, 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 like the Phillies, Soto goes somewhere else. And Dombrowski mm-hmm. gets asked, oh, did you check in on Soto? Like, what happened there? And he was like, you know, this would never happen. But what if we just knew that Dombrowski said, oh, yeah, I, I checked in on that. And based on the research I was able to do and my team was able to do, I determined that upholding the culture we have here was more important than bringing in Soto, who I feel like, you know, maybe he personally wouldn't have like wrecked it. It's more just like disrupting what has been built here culturally was less valuable than bringing in this prolific hitter. Would you be furious? I feel like a lot of people would be very unsettled. Like, that's why he would never say that, because that would infuriate a lot of people who, you know, just view it like, good player, bring him in, which I totally understand that as well. But this is a very interesting conversation to me, so I'm expanding on mm-hmm. it. If you found that out, that Dombrowski, if Dombrowski said that, and was just like, I was more interested in upholding what we've built than bringing in a brand new superstar who is as great as he is, I just felt that would disrupt things. What would, what would your response to that be? I don't think I'd be outright furious. If he actually said that, I mean, at least, again, it comes down to how much do you trust your, you know, president of baseball operations or whatever his title is. How much do you trust that person? And I know that I trust, I trust Dave Dombrowski a lot. He's made a lot of good moves, uh, and he's made a big one already this season by electing not to bring. Reese Hoskins back which baseball wise might not make much of a ripple but culture wise is huge and so I I am if he said that then I would be and I'd be I would believe him I would probably be like maybe you're valuing the culture a little too highly but understand but that would mean that he knows how important that is to the alchemy of the Phillies. Well, it's like not it's, winning the lottery, right? Like, oh, I, I, I bought a ticket so I'd have the chance to win a bunch of money, but I woke up today and I didn't win, so my life hasn't changed at all. Is that, yeah. like, we didn't get worse, we just stayed the same. Exactly. And, you know, there's going to be some frustration from people about that, if that were to happen. And, you know, I, I want to make something clear here, if I haven't already. I don't consider Juan Soto to be the problem in that scenario. It's more just, like overvalue like you're saying valuing the culture that you have built with the guys who built it rather than bringing in a brand new superstar which you know but they did that last year when they signed trey turner you know like that was that was different and turner is a superstar as well so yeah i I, but i what i keep coming back to is that even now even now when you are looking at you know those silly puff pieces that appear on MLB.com that are like, here's each team's reason for being excited right now. And you read one of those and they're like, oh, the Phillies, you know, their their vibes, their culture's the same and all those guys are coming back. And that was the only thing we cited as a strength of this team that was consistent throughout the entire season where other, all the other stuff came and went at different times, but the culture and the vibes stayed the same. And that's all you ever hear about this team is how fun they are to watch and the culture is great. Can you really overvalue that? When that's like this team's bread and butter, and it's also very hard. You can't you, you can't establish this just just anywhere. You, you can't, we've talked about how hard it is to build a team around team chemistry. You don't know who's going to get along. You don't know how guys are going to wake up in the morning or what what kind of guy a guy is going to be by the time he gets to your team, regardless of who he's been before. So this is something that is a big resource for the Phillies, for which they are constantly cited to the point of cliche of, of, as one of their strengths. 
And again, I don't think Soto comes in and wrecks it. I'm just saying a change changes it. And that could be detrimental. It, it might not be. That being said, Juan Soto's an incredible player. And it wouldn't be not exciting to have Juan Soto, regardless of who they gave up for him. So let me ask you this. If you knew the Phillies could get Juan Soto, but there was absolutely no talk of an extension on the table, how does that impact your interest? I It wouldn't... It wouldn't change my interest level at all. It wouldn't, even if it was just for a year. And he wouldn't talk about an extension until the end of the season. It's not like he's going to come play here and say, I will not sign with you next year. That's that's not what you're talking about, because that's definitely a, a no. <laughs> but no, no player's going to say that, and I don't think any player would you know would go he doesn't it's not volunteer he has to go if he's traded but I don't think a, a player would come into that situation especially one with a team that's as good as the Phillies um and say I'm not I will not sign with you next year I think the most you'd say is I really want to test the free agent market for the first time just like they allowed Aaron Nola to do you know I I want to see how it looks I want to I want to get that experience and I f am confident enough in the Phillies and the guys who sort of set the tone, create the culture, that they'll be able to sell him on, not even just sell him, just he'll be able to see what a great place it is to play. Um, I believe that the clubhouse would be able to adjust. I think everyone would be able to adjust because it's not like he comes in, he's not going to be willing to change to the tone of the clubhouse and, and it's not like the clubhouse is set in its ways the point of having a great culture like this is that they're able to adapt and i don't think he would to have to change to to fit into the culture of the clubhouse because again there's no stories out there that indicate he's any kind of big no, no, problem no. <laughs> i'm not even and that's and me saying that it doesn't mean that he's a problem but every player comes with their they've been in different clubhouses they've had different experiences and they're just different people and, you know, there would be a getting used to period. But I think a good clubhouse culture isn't unchanging. It's about accepting a player for who they are and understanding what they need and how they the, – because the point of the team is to help every single person do the best they can. And there's an argument to be made that a culture in which the team is winning, you know, even if it's a quiet – uh, clubhouse where guys aren't really talking to each other and then they start like winning a lot suddenly the culture is very very good because winning mm -hmm. fixes everything and you know theoretically you bring in a guy like Juan Soto and your team starts winning even more you bring a guy like Juan Soto onto a team that already has Bryce Harper Nick Castellanos Kyle Schwarber you know in the lineup JT Romuto then you would assume okay we're going to win a lot more now, granted, what has happened in San Diego hasn't had the desired result, which I think, you know, a lot of people thought they were going to win a lot of games for the past few years, but they haven't done that. Um, again, that's not on Juan Soto's shoulders. I guess no. I guess what I'm thinking is that Dave Dombrowski, in signing Aaron Nola to a seven-year deal, uh, in ma making the decision he wound up making about Reese Hoskins and having Bryce Harper play first— and having Kyle Schwarber be the DH, he is thinking a lot about the future, at least the near future. And if Juan Soto, if he doesn't have any indication that Juan Soto would want to sign an extension, then, I don't know, despite his reputation as a guy who rips out the guts of your minor league system and brings in established stars, 
I don't know if that's a move he really prioritizes making. You know what I mean? Like that yeah. that's not necessarily about the future, that's about win now. Then again, the Phillies are in something of a win now mode. So you can kind of go back and forth on this, but I I really just feel like he, he this offseason has been a lot more about thinking about what comes next, not just what comes in 2024. Mm-hmm. And if you can't and I feel like it's more likely you 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 don't know if you can sign a guy to an extension who is in this predicament. Um then if you then you, know, you can't call him up and be like, hey, you want to sign here like long term before we trade for you? Yeah, you know, like he's not going to be like, oh, definitely, yes. You know, I, I feel like it's more likely you don't know when you make that deal. So that being the case, for one year of Juan Soto, which is all you know you're getting when you make that deal for him, I don't know. Dombrowski's in that place. You know, I could easily be wrong given his historic reputation, but it just seems like the future beyond the near future beyond 2024 has kind of been what the moves this offseason have been about that's true and you're right that they probably wouldn't know about you know whether or not he would be open to signing extension well I mean I think the most they'd be able to get is from his agent a he would be open to considering it you know he's open to considering anything at this point he Mm -hmm. has not hit free agency you know you know I think I always think it's worth a gamble to get the best players I do And the Phillies have made getting the best players their priority. Now, you know, Dombrowski has done that for a few years now. And so he's sort of having to look inward at, all right, you know, we've committed a lot of money. You know, Middleton seems willing to commit more, but not an infinite amount. So, you know, there is a limit, you know, where it is, we don't know. But he is going to have to get more creative. Hmm. And... You know, for the what I'm thinking is how much more would Juan Soto cost at midseason? You know, if for some that's the thing. Like I'm trying to think ahead. Like if it's midseason, the Phillies are having consistency issues, and the Padres are still obviously out of it. Um, you know, how much more would he cost? How much less would he cost? Like, what is going to be the best time to get him? That where the Phillies wouldn't have to give up two two much because my thought is we sh- if we if we just throw a bunch of the Phillies outfielders onto like a Christmas tree and shove it at them you think they'd be convinced well you, you really know? you really hate Brandon Marsh I do I, I, I just have, can't stand him I have I'm no just idea. thinking they're prioritizing prioritizing young and cheap that's what they want right now they want young guys that could turn out to be something more and Marsh is definitely that guy mm. He's a great clubhouse guy. He has a lot of potential. He's willing to learn and grow. And I don't think even, you know, Manny Droopy Dog Machado would be able to keep him down. I'm pretty sure that's where the the source of – I'm not saying that anyone is the clubhouse cancer because that is a term – that is overused and super dumb and not even a, a real thing. Often but used by people who have never been in the clubhouse. In clubhouse, question. no, or who have some kind of racial bias. Um, I believe, at least from the interviews that I that we read at the end of the season uh, with Machado and some of the the comments that were made by the beat writers, understanding that you know while they're reporters, they obviously have their own biases unacknowledged bias towards players in their own clubhouse I my thought is a a lot is that some of this is on Machado because he's a certain type of superstar that 
wants, you know, that just is, doesn't seem to be that excited, happy clubhouse guy that I think people thought he he had been. And so I, I think it's a matter of fit. They need to, San Diego, I think, needs to do a little bit more work around culture. You have to create a good culture. You know, when the Phillies fired um, Girardi, it wasn't just the lack of production that was the reason they let him go. And I've never been convinced it was just that. Otherwise, there would have been reasons to fire him a number of times before. I think it just had to be. It's not only that they're bad. Everyone is unhappy. Everyone's unhappy. There's, there's, there was no noticeable culture at the time. There really wasn't. And the moment, you know, uh, Rob Thompson came in, everyone felt the ability to be themselves. And maybe with Mike Schilt this year uh, on the Padres, that's who was there, right? Um, I'm going to look at Padres manager to make sure. Yes, it is Mike Schilt, um, who I think is a good, is one of those good player managers. Um, I don't think there were a lot of complaints about him in um, St. Louis. Actually, I think when he was fired, everyone was shocked. Yes, I remember that. Everyone was really shocked that Schultz was fired because the team wasn't doing well, but the players were really happy and trying hard. So maybe that will improve things there next year. But well, I don't really care if the Padres work it out. At this point, I have picked them to win the NL West too many times and watched them not do it too many times to really care at this point what happens in San Diego. You guys had the chance to become the upstart team that dethrones the Dodgers. And boy, you just kept on blowing it. So I'm, it. I, I no longer care about that. Here's what Fair. I know. Is, I find all that interesting, but you, it's not a Padres podcast. So here's what I know is true that Jeff Passan tweeted the Phillies in relation to a potential Juan Soto trade. I also know it is true that if the Phillies do not trade for Juan Soto, I will feel okay if the Phillies do trade for Juan Soto and it winds up meaning Brandon Marsh isn't on the team anymore, I will get on board eventually regardless. It's just, you know, I, I would, yeah, I, I like having Brandon Marsh on the team. And obviously I know Juan Soto is a better player of course, <laughs> than Brandon no, Marsh. And, and I will, like I said, I will get on board to having the guy everyone keeps comparing to Ted Williams in the Phillies lineup in a different situation with a better culture and awesome hitters all around him. I, yeah, I think that would be that would be great. It would be very exciting. It would be very cool. I'm not saying don't do it because I like Brandon Marsh, but you know I will be I will be okay either way. I guess in time is what I'm saying. Of course. I mean, listen, I have to accept <laughs> that Reese Hoskins is not around, and he he's my Brandon Marsh, and I'm I I love Bryce Harper, but man, I. Uh, I'm part of me is pretty sure that the organization called him up and said, Hey, what you said that you would play wherever we wanted you to. We'd like you to think about, you know, wanting to play first base, (laughs) not we would like you to play first base. It's we want you to think about wanting to play first base so we can say that you want to play it. (laughs) So then, then we can avoid some of this. Uh, so, I mean, you, you were allowed your, your, you know, your time to grieve and no one would begrudge you that it's, it's a situation that 
it's <laughs> it's Schrodinger's Soto. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, well, I know I'm not using that totally right, but it is sort of like we, you know, we'll know one way, but there'll always be the well, what if out there that we'll never ever know. Is do the winter eating? Do the winter meetings end with the Phillies having made a deal of at least medium significance? Hmm. Uh, I say yes. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. I, I was going to yes. say at the very least, I know that they're going to be, we're going to hear their name a lot. Yeah. I think Dombrowski is, like we said, he needs to get creative this year. I think he's, we're going to hear the Phillies name a lot because there's a lot of wheeling and dealing to be done to make this specific team better than they were. Yeah. Because how do you do that? They have superstars everywhere you look. How do you make that team materially better well, without ruining things? And you, that's that's you, the thing. What you do is you have a, a um, people. I don't know how you how you organize this, but you make sure that every time Nick Castellanos comes to bat in the playoffs, some global cataclysm has taken place, so <laughs> that he his powers are aligned in order to not stop hitting. For no reason. So I think that is that is your chief concern, obviously, to make this Phillies team better. Uh, but that being said, you know, elsewhere, as far as Phillies moves go and Phillies rumors go, uh, the Liz, if I told you that a pitcher had become available and this was a uh, bullpen arm who has been an all star multiple times, can throw at or over 100 miles an hour. And has been made available by the team they currently play for via trade. What do you think the Phillies' response to that would be? Uh, what do you want? <laughs> I, I think what you initially responded to with a with a quickened heart rate and uh, heavy breathing. I think that yes. is exactly what their response to that news. Would oh, of course. Be. <laughs> Which is why the Phillies have been linked to uh, Cleveland's Emmanuel Class A, who is a two-time All Star, has a 100 mile an hour cutter. Has uh, he, he? I think he had a breakout season in 2021 that it's generally considered he probably that's his ceiling, but it's going to be tough for him to reach that again. Mm. Um, but that being said, he has been made available by the Guardians, and he was stated as you know someone someone that would be a good fit for the Phillies. So I wanted to make sure just to include that in our kind of. Would you consider that a medium at least move if the Phillies were able to make a trade for uh, for a bullpen arm like that? Oh yeah. Like yeah. him, like he's, man, he's just 25. Mm -hmm. He's got four seasons. I think it looks like he had Tommy John at some point. I, I don't have his bio in front of me. I'm just looking at uh, his pitching on a uh, baseball reference. But That horrifying word consistency makes him appealing. He has pitched in 77 games in 2022, which, which led all of baseball. He pitched in 75 games in 2023. He finished 67 games and 65 games in both of those years, respectively, and both of those numbers led the league. He also led all of baseball in saves with 42 and 44 in 22, 2022 and 2023. And like I said, he was an all-star in both seasons. And in 2021... When he was a rookie, uh, he had a 129 ERA and finished fifth in rookie of the year voting. Yeah, this is a medium at least. This is a, this is a guy. This this might be a this is a name no one had really been discussing until very recently, as far as a guy the Phillies could bring in. And this is a position where this is an area of need, you might say, <laughs> for the Phillies. Yeah, so. like this guy, uh, I think, is he a hard thrower? Does he throw hard? 
Oh, yeah. Like I said, he has a like 100 mile an hour cutter. Oh, I don't know why he's not on the Phillies already. <laughs> I mean, yeah. this is this is exactly the guy. And looking at he's like the, he's let me see this past year. He finished 65 games and had 44 saves. I'm really like the, that's kind of exactly the way the Phillies would use him. Because I don't think the Phillies want to do like they I think they're flexible with the closer role because they if um, Alvarado had been around, I think they would have been and not hurt. There would have been more of a switch between him and Kimbrell. They definitely need someone more consistent to replace him. And this is that guy. This is him. And like all. I don't think they need to send anyone high level. What are they going to do with this guy? They're the they're the guardians. Right. That's what I mean. I feel like he, this is a trade Dombrowski can pull off in his sleep if he wants to. So, yeah. you know, I'm, I, yeah. And again, maybe this is the guy, maybe he isn't, but it's certainly an area of need for the Phillies. And this guy profiles as somebody that they've seen appeal in, in the past. So, yeah. you know, that we'll see what happens there, but that was, uh, that was something that popped up today. Um, <laughs> My Lord, he allowed 16 walks this, this season. Pretty good. Pretty 16 good. walks over 72.2. Wow. All right, yeah, I'm into this. Well, moving on to more ornamental matters. Liz, we've only just begun the joyous Hall of Fame discourse that every offseason brings. Uh, but this year, it's a little more interesting to Phillies fans with the number of Phillies on the ballot. First thing I want to say is you can stop lumping Billy Wagner in with the Phillies people want to hear about. Right? Like, who, who, who among Phillies fans is like, oh, I really hope Billy Wagner gets into the Hall of Fame. Like, Billy Wagner was... One of the most famous in-house villains while he was here. Yeah. Wasn't he called a rat by his own teammates? Like, come on. This yeah, is... that's... I don't associate with him with the with the Phillies, at least not immediately. And then if after I've thought about it, definitely not in a positive way. So... Imagine I, a Phillies yeah. fan being like, I'm going to truck it up to Cooperstown for Billy Wagner's induction ceremony. Like that's My just... thought would be is that he's going there specifically to boo him. <laughs> like that would... Boo him like, during probably the best and most important day of his life. Right. I mean, go ahead and cite the statistics at me. Fine. Sure. I, I'm sure he's statistically valid to get into the Hall of Fame. But at the same time, I, as a Phillies fan, do not care about that at all. So we can stop lumping him in with the rest of the uh, much better names that are on the ballot this year, which total three. We have Bobby Abreu, who has received one vote thus far after six ballots Ugh. or eight ballots. I'm sorry. Six public ballots and two anonymous ballots have, have wake come. up people. Bobby Brayu has received one vote. Jimmy Rollins has received zero. Unfortunately. Yeah, that's about right. I think, but the name most people want to talk about. And I believe that's because most people have, I believe he has the best chance to actually get into the hall of fame is Chase Utley, which is a name people get much more hysterical about than Billy Wagner. You would, you know, you would, assume yeah and you would be right so chase utley liz just to give you an update with again eight votes in chase utley has had a check mark next to his name on five out of eight ballots thus far yay i Does like it this city explode if chase utley gets into the national baseball hall of fame museum um if if he's the first ballot Hall of Famer, uh, completely. <laughs> I think it. I don't believe he'll be a first ballot Hall of Famer, but like, 
uh, this is a good sign. I think the city would lose it. It's been a while since like a Phillies, Phillies, Phillies player. Yeah. I mean, good luck induction ceremony. Like, I don't, I don't remember the last time in recent memory that a Phillies, like you said, Phillies, Phillies, Phillies player was getting into the Hall of Fame and was going to give a speech. I mean, especially a guy like Chase Utley and the generation of fans, well, our generation of fans who were young adults when he was at his prime and are uh, still mobile mobile adults <laughs> with him getting into the Hall, in the, in the era in which he could get into the Hall of Fame. You know, that's a pretty good alignment as well. So, yeah, you would have a couple buses of people going up there to see Chase Utley go into the Hall of Fame should he get in. And yeah, five of eight, man. Yeah, it's it's not, he, he needs uh, a calculated or an estimated like 288 votes, I believe, <laughs> in total to get the 75 um, percent threshold that you need to get into the Hall of Fame. Um, but, you know, here we are in the early stages and he's got five of eight. So that's pretty cool. I don't know. Yeah, I'm I'm excited about it. I think he has a better he'll have a really good showing on public ballots because public ballots tend to be. Um, younger writers who are more friendly, you know, to the internet, who understand advanced statistics, who understand how um, how Portland bleh, important Utley was to the team, um, and that his lack of awards is mostly due to the fact that two years in a row he had he was like second behind his own teammates who had like incredible otherworldly seasons that I don't know if they were able to repeat. Um, you know, we had some injury issues, but I think in the next couple, I think he has a chance of getting in in the next five years because there are some, woof, there are some really bad classes on our, on their way. Well, it would be obviously be awesome, but now I'm going to throw something at you that I didn't plan on, but I, I want to see what I want to see what you think. Ooh. Also on the ballot are a couple of umpires. And one of those umpires is Joe West. I think Joe West sucks. I think he sucks as a guy. I think he sucks he sucked as an umpire. I I know that there are people in baseball who considered him the worst umpire. Like I saw, I remember, and I cite this a lot, but I remember there was a manager who talked to, he was asked who's worse, Angel Hernandez or Joe West. And he said, Joe West is worse because Angel Hernandez is, and I'm paraphrasing, but Angel Hernandez is incompetent. He can't do his job well. He has never gotten better. He has never really been held accountable for being as bad as he is. And he just, he's just bad. He's just bad at the thing he does. And will continue to be bad because he makes no effort to get better. Joe West, they said, is worse because he knows how to be a good umpire. He simply chooses not to and leans in more to the attention, more to the I'm going to enforce this rule that never gets enforced. Or I'm just going to make something up like that time. He was like, oh, yeah, no, we can't review that. And people were like later, oh, no, they, they can review that. He just simply didn't want to. You know, moments like that fill Joe West's career. I, if you've listened to any of the podcasts I've been on for these past better part of a decade. You are, this is not news to you that I do not like Joe West. This is not an original opinion just to me. Many people do not like Joe West. That being said, Liz, it's the Hall of Fame. The goal of the Hall of Fame, uh, and I don't have it in front of me. I meant to, but I don't have it in front of me. But the stated goal of the Hall of Fame is to just, you know, bring together 
the entire history of the sport. Joe West succeeded in his quest for fame. We know his name because he made himself famous by being a terrible umpire. Doesn't he belong in the Hall of Fame for that? <laughs> he might. I mean, I'm... I mean, I we all hate him. I don't know anyone who likes him. Um, Didn't even record a new podcast episode in 2023. Uh, yeah, because that was just... It was just a... An, I think he looked at it to see how many people would do it. You know, who how many people would listen. And when no one wanted to, he's just like, you know what? That's probably enough. He got or, a lot of big names on it. I never listened, but he got a lot no. of big names on it. And uh, then you read the comments and you're like, yeah, he's just complaining the whole time. He's just complaining about young players and new players and the status for everything, everything you would expect. Because on top of everything else, he's a total cliche. So, you know, that was what it was. But yeah, as far as like fame goes... Joe West made himself very famous. It's the opposite of what an umpire should do, but he did make himself famous and it's called the hall of fame. Should, should he not be in there? I mean, if we, it would be a step, it would be weirdly be a step towards include, like actually being inclusive of the good and the bad, but they definitely wouldn't recognize him as such. It's exactly. Really, they would call yeah. him controversial. They would or call they him polarizing. Even, they would they, they would never ever say like, oh, he was like bad for the game. And on his plaque, it definitely wouldn't mention any of that. It would just be um it would definitely just be longest serving umpire because he, he holds the record. So yeah. I mean I'm torn on it i've been looking to see who is actually gonna vote the ballot was comprised of a bunch of these people but i don't know who votes 16 member hall of fame board appointed electorates charged with the committee will meet and discuss yeah i have no idea who's actually on the committee and usually for these era committees we will know we should know at some point um and that i think is gonna affect who is going to make it in because uh, I have the list of candidates in front of me. We've got uh Cito Gaston Lou manager. Lupinella. Hmm? I know yes. he's on there. Yeah. We've got it's Cito Gaston, uh, Davey Johnson, uh, Jim Leland, uh, who are all managers. Uh, we've got uh, Ed Montague, Lou Pinella. He's also a manager. Uh, Montague is an umpire and Joe West is an umpire. And Bill White is, I think, a former Phillies player uh, who is president of the National League from 89 to 94. I just got Bill White's book from the library. It's called Up Uppity. I have heard great things. I cannot wait to read it. You have to tell me how that is. That sounds fantastic. Yeah, because I was learning more about Bill White the other day, just, you know, looking through the ballot and was like, he seems awesome. He would be a great. A great guy to have in there. Um, I think Joe West's main claim to fame is that he's umpired the most games in MLB history. Um, and he's been doing postseason assignments, a whole ton, like ton of them since 1981 was his first. He's worked five uh, wildcard games, eight division series, 10 LCS, uh, six World Series and three All-Star games. And he uh, threatened to sue people at Wikipedia because of his uh, Wikipedia page saying the things that he's done in his career. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I think I'm trying to remember. I think Hank 
Ed Montague. I maintain that Joe West had no idea that his Wikipedia, until he retired, that his Wikipedia page was recording all of the controversial things from his career. And he genuinely just thought it was the first time he felt any kind of accountability for his actions. And that's why he was like, I will bring in attorneys. And they were like, we're literally Wikipedia. (laughs) (laughs) There is a reason, by the way, I had this for like a final thought for the main hit and season podcast back when this ballot was announced. I'm sorry, this is not the main hit and season podcast? No, the sun. Oh, you're right. We don't do that anymore. This is the main hit and season podcast. (laughs) The one that we do with all three of us um, on Sunday, Sunday slash Monday. I wanted to bring this up, but, you know, we just didn't have the time one night. And so there is a reason that I think Ed Montague should, at least I find him interesting enough that maybe he should be in the Hall of Fame. He um, got an, into an argument with Dodgers third base coach Larry Boa, April 2nd, 2008. He tossed him out and said, this was, I think it was something like, this is the stupidest, uh, this is the stupidest uh, ejection I've ever had, I've ever seen. Yeah, Joe West literally body slammed a player once during a brawl. Like, come on. (laughs) What? The guy, again, the guy, you don't have to be good at your job to be famous. Like, that is well established. And that's that's what I'm saying. Me, somebody who has never liked Joe West, never liked his brand of umpiring, never liked how he got lionized uh, at, at certain milestones in his career just because he was around and, you know, again, controversial or polarizing never really saw the entertainment in him being a a, a doofy cartoon character but even i am saying if it's the hall of fame joe west you know he succeeded as 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 much as i hated watching it he succeeded in what he was trying to do make himself famous and then maybe be an umpire sometimes he succeeded so i don't know i'm kind of right now i'm just like yeah despite everything i think about him you should put him in the Hall of Fame. I think it, they will do it in a way that does not reflect his actual legacy on the game. But, you know, as far as fame goes, he should be in there. Yeah, I'm really excited in a way to see what they do with him because everyone knows he was not a good manager. Everyone knows that he was a show umpire. Oh, umpire. Duh. Uh, everyone who knows that he was a show voter for sure. But players and managers had a respect for him that I don't believe was universal. It's not universal. And I don't believe it was earned the way it should be by being good at your job. It was good. It was earned by just, Hey, it's Joe West. He's still there. Amazing. He stands up and doesn't tip over like an egg would. I mean, imagine, well, no, sometimes he did tip over, but, but imagine going into your job and there's like a security guard. And every day you walk in and he might be like, hey, and you'd be like, hey, and then the next day you come in and he just shoots you in the leg. <laughs> like that's that's Joe West. <laughs> Except without the gun. It's very funny when he tries to shoot you with his finger. I'm sure Joe West owns a gun. All right. Oh my well, God, yes. Let's wrap up here uh, with another story that came out today. According to Tim Kelly of Phillies Nation, the Phillies are ditching the red on red tomato uniforms in 2024. Uh, and I believe that is to make room for the City Connect jersey that they will finally get, which I, unlike the Hall of Fame, I cannot wait for the discourse. Oh, my God, yes. <laughs> that erupts on what the uh, what the Phillies uh, City Connect jersey is going to be. Oh, boy, that is going to be a hot, hot, hot topic when that finally happens. But this is this is the year they will get it. 
and you know, hooray. But uh, according to Phillies Nation, they will be ditching the red on red jerseys. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but didn't they only start wearing those as alternates because Bryce Harper was like, we should wear these as alternates. And they were like, okay. And they were like spring training uniforms, I mm-hmm. thought. And, and yeah, he, he was just like, we need, we need to do this. And it, it felt to me, again, this is all just conjecture by me, but it felt to me that Bryce Harper was like, no, we need like a fun, cool new uniform. Let's just like, like let's, let's do that. And somebody was probably at the Phillies like, well, that's harder than you're making it sound. We do have these other uniforms that we wear, um, I guess. Do, do you want to wear those? And he was like, yes. And they started wearing them. I believe, like, my personal recollection is that it's because Bryce Harper wanted to do them. Um, And now they are getting ditched, which, I don't know. I mean, I can't say I was ever excited about them, but I do like alternate uniforms. I do like teams playing with their color palette and their design palette and, and just, you know, changing things up. You know, staying staying within the established designs that they have, but but you know, messing around a little bit. And while it would be a huge cultural shift if the Phillies, you know, moved away from that like you know their classic font and everything, or switched to saying Philadelphia on the jersey, which we know they don't do because they tried to, and the word Philadelphia just looks bizarre across the chest. So in, long in the font that they say Phillies in. So I'm okay with them not doing that. Uh, but that being said. Liz, they're going to dump these red on red jerseys. Is that a loss to you? Um, I wish I hate the grays. I do not like the gray uniforms. You don't like I, the grays. I hate that color of gray. Huh? I don't I mean, like it. I'm one yeah. of the only ones, but you know, I definitely would rather them ditch the grays and keep the reds. But I think uh, all of baseball is moving to Nike uniforms now, uh, as opposed to whatever they were before. Well, are they already doing that? Because they all got the the logo, the Nike logo on them. Oh yeah, you're right. But I think this year they, uh, what is it? They have five regular uniforms, and uh, yeah, they need to get rid of one. They need for uh, the City Connect. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I would feel better about this if I knew what the City Connects were going to look like. <laughs> I, I think I I have absolutely no faith, none that they're going to look good. I think they're going to be. I don't even I wish they were going to be allowed ugly atrocity because at least that would be something. I think they're just going to be like a quiet, uh, boring atrocity of a uniform. Huge loss. Huge loss if they do that. And I don't want to again, I save this for the end because I don't want to get too into it now. There will be plenty to talk about when this actually happens. Mm -hmm. But if they land on something like the Orioles and what they did. Huge loss. Oh, God. Yeah. Huge, huge loss. Uh, Missed opportunity by. Hundreds of miles. Just, just silly. I hate those Baltimore Orioles uh, City Connect jerseys. Such a waste. What yep. a waste. And we've talked before about the ones we liked. And I would prefer loud, loudly different, but still kind of minimalist. Something that expresses a lot while doing a little. And also is a complete, because that's what the City Connect uniforms are for. They're they're to reflect the city in a completely different, like a departure from your normal color palette. They have an opportunity to go absolutely nuts in a cool way here, and I really mm-hmm. hope I hope they don't blow it. And I'm sure the designers who are in charge of this, God help them, uh, know that. Like they must know that. But yeah, according to Tim Kelly, Nike has a rule where they will only produce four jerseys per team, five if the fifth is a City Connect uniform, and the Phillies already had five. The pinstripes for the home games, uh, the cream-colored ones, which 
I, I like the cream colored. Me too. I, like, I, like I love the too. cream colored. Reminds me of Utley. For some reason, I just look at yes. that and I see Chase Utley. I don't know why. I, I just, don't know why is... either. They just, it it feels like his uniform. It does. Uh, the Powder Blues, which, hey, look, I know there's people out there who are like, I'm done with the Powder Blues. Let's who are move those on. idiots? Or they should, they should, um, they should be using the home uniforms from that era when they play at home. It's just the Powder Blues, I think, are more memorable to people for some reason. And the uh, Maroon cool Pinstripes. Hell aren't aren't just you know they're just they're not as much of a difference uh but look i get that too you know we've they've done the powder blues if they changed it up uh right now for like different different home was it home thursday games they mm-hmm. play the yeah like if they changed it up to the home ones i think that would be totally appropriate go for it or even better throw it back to like what is it the, the um the 40s go 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 like one one era back to those uniforms which aren't super different from the current ones but different enough to be like yeah check this out we're gonna do this for a couple of years my husband is cleaning out his bedroom from his mother's house and uh brought home last weekend a huge poster from the early 90s that had members of the of that early 90s team wearing the different uniforms from all the eras. I, I'll have to take a picture of it. It's really cool because we've got John Cruck at, you know, far left at wearing the original uniform from 1883. And then it go. it's, you know, they've got, um, uh, they've got uh, Mitch Williams in there, uh, West Chamberlain. It's like a bunch of those guys from that team and they're all wearing the different uniforms. And I'm like, Wow. I mean, they certainly have had a consistent style through the years, uh, and that's kind of why I'm sad to see the the red ones go because that it that would that does represent a bit of a departure for them. Yeah, and they're a very stately old organization, so you know, and, and you know, moving away from any kind of tradition is going to throw people off. So it'll be interesting. It'll be some wild, wild times when we finally see that Philadelphia Phillies city connectors. Oh, I, can't, I can't wait. I can't, I can't wait. wait either. Whether it's good or bad. <laughs> exactly. That's the thing though. If it's bad, I want it to be retina searing. I want it to be so bad that I have to purchase it. Here's my unrealistic hope. It's a tribute to the boner forever mural. <laughs> it's not going to be, but no. boy, that is, that would be a terrific reflection of Philadelphia completely. Uh, all right. Well, that'll do it for this episode of hidden season. As the off season goes on, you'll find new episodes here at billypen.com slash hidden season. Uh, and if you want bonus content, head on over to patreoncom slash hidden season. You'll get ac- access to episodes of absolutely hammered with myself, Chris Jones and Mike Robertson. Uh, you know, him as at Fransky LA. And there are also episodes of the dirty inning over there, which uh, we did a special Thanksgiving episode here at, at uh, hidden season. Uh, just to give you an idea of what the dirty inning entails, it is it is a uh, it is a storytelling podcast in which we talk about the dumbest, funniest, and most obscure innings in Philadelphia Phillies history. If that sounds like it's up your alley, as baseball continues not being played over the winter, head on over to the Patreon at patreon.com/slash hit and season, and for five dollars a month, you get access to the dirty inning, among other things. From WHYY and Billy Penn, I'm Justin Clue. I'm Liz Rocher, and this has been Hit and Season.